everybody. Welcome back to Drag Time with Hecklina. I am so thrilled to have a very special guest today on Drag Time with Hecklina. First, I just want to thank you guys for all the tips you've been sending in. We've got a few here and there which help Mark keep the show going. We're on Venmo and Cash App as Drag Time. And if you want to find out all the ways to support the show, just visit our website, dragtimewithhecklina.com. Now, introducing our guest, Bruce LaBruce is a filmmaker, photographer, creator, and director of works you will find on stage and screen. Somebody I've been, I've idolized for a very long time. And um, and here he is. Hi, welcome, Bruce LaBruce. How are you? Yay. So excited to be on your <laughs> show. I've been, I, I've been, I've been idolizing you for quite a long time too. So oh, the feeling so is sweet. mutual. Thank you. Um, you know, I, we, we talked a little bit before we started recording the session and I always forget that you're from Canada because to me, in my mind, you're so uh, entwined with LA and, you know, and you're, I, I'm a huge fan of your Instagram because oh, you. you, yeah, you always post, you're obviously a huge fan of Hollywood old and new. And, um, and in my mind, you're associated with Hollywood Gothic and, and your, Inst- your Instagram made, it made me go research people I hadn't thought of in a long time, like Dirk Bogard, Dean Stockwell, John Saxon. So, um, were you, I, this is like a long drawn out way <laughs> to get to this, to get to this question. Were you like a film nerd as a kid? I mean, it's pretty obvious you were, but, um, yeah. Well, yeah, uh, people do think I'm from L.A., partly because L.A. is in my name, Bruce, L.A., Bruce. Uh, sure, yeah. sure. <laughs> and, 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 but also for Hustler White, you know, because Hustler White was shot in... So uh, L.A., yeah. And it's so L.A. I mean, it really captured the last gasp of the hustling, street hustling scene on Santa Monica Boulevard in the 90s. And, and then I kind of made a... Almost like a sequel, I regarded as L.A. Zombie in 2010, uh-huh. which is also about like partly about home. It's like homeless porn, literally. Right. And um, so but, you know, I play the character I play in Hustler White is, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, Jürgen Anger. And Jürgen Anger is a composite, was a composite of my producer, longtime producer, Jürgen Brinning, and Kenneth Anger. And Kenneth mm-hmm. Anger, of course, wrote Hollywood Bully, uh, Hollywood Babylon, sure. and, and, which was like amazing because he really, uh, he really made up a lot of stuff. Like he, he really kind of exaggerated and, and kind of created his own narrative, which I love. Like the fact that uh, Roman Navarro, you know, that the hustler, uh, Paul Ferguson, who uh, murdered him, shoved a lead dildo up his ass, and and there was poppers uh, stuck in his nose, which is not true. I mean, there but it's was a better a, story. Yeah. It's it's it's, it's a, a much better story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, the, the but actually, it is. I, I mean, mm. the real story is pretty cool too because it came out recently that they were brothers who actually killed him, and the brothers turned on each other and accused each other of committing the murder, and. And there was sex involved, and I mean, it was he just he just uh, enhanced uh, the stories a little bit, you know, and oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But my, uh, I partly did that because I really relate to that character, and I've always been a a, a fan of you know I, I I grew up in a in a farm on a farm in Canada, very isolated uh, in the you know late sixties, seventies, eighties, and um, I the my only connection to the big big bad world outside was like was watching Hollywood movies on television and my parents were farmers 
with grade eight education, but they were huge Hollywood uh, fanatics. So they would uh, on TV, like a movie would come on and they would know all the bit players and extras, the names. Of oh, wow. The, the bit players and stuff. Yeah, they were really like um, they loved it. And uh, I think a lot of people did back in that era, you know. And um, and so they would take us to the movies uh, on the weekends and uh, drive-ins, especially in the summer, were amazing. We'd go every weekend. And and uh, so it was my escape, you know, my right. escape ha- hatch from this cruel rural environment (laughs) and uh uh so that's where it started and by the time i was like you know 12 or 13 i i i I wanted to be a film critic that was what uh, i intended to to pursue um and then i went to film school at york university in toronto i moved to toronto when i was 18 and and um i took film production for two years and then dropped uh, and then switched to film academics and I got my master's degree in film and social and political thought. And, um, and then, uh, you know, so that was my background in, in terms of my love of, of, of cinema. Yeah. And it, it also seems like you love to celebrate the, the Gothic side of Hollywood, like the dark oh, side, yeah. of course, you know, because it's, it's so, um, I, I love the seediness of LA. And, yeah. Um, I mean, well, I, I love the uh, you know in Hustler White, it's it's about the yeah the CD underbelly. It's kind of like a cut rate version of uh, Sunset Boulevard, you know, oh, and, yeah, uh, yeah. which we reference. Uh, but it, you know, I love the idea that all these people go to you know from all over the America and even the world, you know, go to Hollywood, LA, with have with this dream of becoming a movie star and everything, and then a lot of them like fall through the cracks and end up Absolutely. like, you know, yeah. down, down and out. And, uh, even I always love that phenomenon. I mean, that was kind of the genesis of, in a way of LA zombie was that you'd always see these hot homeless people ripped who are ripped, you know, right? <laughs> like their shirt would be open and they'd be ripped and they might have like black grease on their, I don't know. I don't know where that black grease comes from, but um, on their chest. On the- <laughs> well, the downward spiral. The uh, the downward spiral is hard to watch. You know. Get, uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. And it's they pretty, show up. You know, yeah, mm-hmm. it's pretty common too. I mean, yeah. Um, so yeah, that that always fascinated me. I love the dark underbelly of everything of, of the gay world too, you know, uh, Oh, sure. Wherever it is. Uh, there's not, there's not enough bad gays these days. I I don't think there's not enough, uh, Paul Lynn's out there. Oh, well, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he was a piece of work and we won't talk about the, the, the friend who went out the window, you know, but, Oh yeah. I, I, of course I read, of course I read the, uh, the biography of Paul Lynn and I, I remember that chapter and, well, yeah, he was he, he was an evil gay. He was an evil gay. He was um, evil gay. It's like, but he was counterbalanced by Charles Nelson Riley, who was a really nice gay. I went to see his one man show right before he passed away. Charles Nelson the, Riley's the the life and, of Riley. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he was so great. Yeah, um, I've read I've read a lot about him too. Loved him. Now, one thing about Hustler White. So I vividly remember what an impact it had on the modern primitive scene in San Francisco, all the people from Club Jesus and stuff. And they were, uh, you know, the, the big scene I remember is the amputee sex scene. Mm-hmm. And um, and it, there was a lot of talk about people you know, uh, having a fetish 
for people with stumps and stuff. And, um, mm-hmm. and I, is, is there a reason why, I mean, you don't have to have to give a, re- a reason why, but you've, you've, you celebrate some of the quote taboo unquote sex acts or stuff like that. And, um, there doesn't really have to be a reason why, but what inspires you to do that? Yeah. I mean, you know, we certainly, that, that fetish has been a, around for a long time. And in fact, the character with a, the amputee fetish character, the one who has the fetish in the movie is reading a, uh, a magazine called Amputee Times, which was a porn magazine about uh, uh, amputees. So uh, it's, you know, it's, it's not something we made up, you know, but uh-huh. um, uh, you know, uh, I made the film with Rick Castro and he knew this uh, fellow um, who plays uh, Igo Vesti in the movie. And he uh, was a- an actual hustler with a, uh, with uh, a, a stump. Uh, he was an amputee. Uh, his leg was uh, missing below the knee and, mm-hmm. um, or actually it was b- well below the knee. So it went down into a very phallic kind of like shape. Right. And, and apparently, you know, he did pleasure people with uh, with his uh, with his stump. So, um, you know, that was just fascinating to me. And you know, the way that we made that movie is we did interviews with all sorts of people that we knew, hustlers, Johns, uh, porn stars, uh, just you know, people we either knew or knew through friends and. And we got them to tell their real life stories, uh, which we recorded on tape and then or videotape, and then we um, incorporated all those stories into into the narrative and made a composite of them, like that that uh, the main hustler Monty Tony Ward, as if he experiences all of these you know crazy um, uh, um, fetish uh, scenarios, you know. Right. So right. Uh, yeah. So we also had that fellow. Um, the older gentleman who likes to have his uh, his skin cut with a razor blade, uh-huh. um, and he had a blood kind of fetish, and so we just cast actually cast him in the movie, um, and uh, and he performed his own fetish on on screen. Um, it was really when we were shooting, you know, he, the guy that was doing it, Bud Cockrum, he he put the the razor blade in it like a looked like a, a wooden ruler so that and stuck it through so that the the blade was only sticking out a, a, you know a certain amount so it wouldn't go too deep but he was like cutting him across the buttocks and the blood was starting to come out and graham goes the old the older gentleman goes not too heavily dear boy and <laughs> 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 it was going a little too deep, but um, his name—he's a fascinating character. His, his name is uh, uh, oh god, can I remember? Uh, D- Graham David Smith. He, he's such a fascinating character because he was also the lover of one of the world's foremost art forgers, um, whose name was Eric Hebern, and they—they they were in a long-term relationship. And he's a fascinating character. They used to, and they—they they were extras in Fellini's Julia. Juliet of the Spirits and oh wow I mean they just had this crazy life and then Eric Hebern ended up being assassinated in Rome in the late 90s and they never figured out who did it so I mean all these stories are connected to the you know these characters in the movie and and in terms of fetish I've always had this 
attraction to uh, people who have fetishes because to me they're very religious people. You know, it's like they mm-hmm. have a a real devotion to the to the object of desire. It's like a a, a worship, you know, almost, and and it's a rever- a reverence for that for that uh, object. So a lot of people just think it's gross and kind of like mm-hmm. distaste distasteful. But I see a real kind of romance and and uh, kind of uh, spirituality even in in it. So my my hot take on it a little bit is, you know, if, if you don't mind the comparison, is kind of like you know how Andy Warhol was surrounded by a lot of freaks that he documented, but he was more of an observer. And, and mm-hmm. is that what is that kind of what you are? Like you don't really engage in all that, you just kind of document it. Mm, no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> okay, all right. Never mind. I, <laughs> Never mind that my hot take. <laughs> no, yeah, no. I, I, I'm not much of a. I'm not really an exhibitionist, but I'm not really a kind of voyeur either. I mean, I, I just I do participate. Uh, I I do have my fetishes um, that I practice. Um, and like, I have a big foot foot fetish, for example, that mm. I'm not. I, I'm very. I'm very open about it. I noticed and, uh, your posts about. <laughs> I, I noticed your posts about Colton Underwood and his oh size 14 feet. I know that was so funny. People get really mad when I like fetishize these conservative, like you know, um, uh, pop, people that become famous for for 15 seconds. And and uh, I do it very t- t- tongue in cheekly, but people get all offended and they said, oh, "He's a Republican. How could you like well, fetishize a Republican's feet?" And I'm like, well, yeah. "Oh, Jesus Christ!" I, mean, <laughs> I was like, "I, yeah. I was, I, I was like, I re, I re, my response was, "Oh my God, it just keeps getting better. He's a Republican, you know." Exactly. Um, so. <laughs> I mean, I, I I hate I hate people dictating what you should be attracted to. You know. Oh. Like why, why, what, how, how is it their business that you're attracted to this guy's feet, you know? Yeah. And, 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 and politically, I mean, you know, quite often in the bedroom, uh, you know, we, we like to be hate fucked by Republicans sometimes, you know, oh, or, absolutely. Or, or, or to hate fuck them. I mean, um, mm-hmm. it's, uh, the bedroom is very, a very complicated place. Sex is very, my, you know, my philosophy of sex and porn is, you know, it's a very kind of dark kind of it can be a very dark kind of byzantine kind of like um space where anything goes like it it's a place where we we work out all our most politically incorrect fantasies and if you can't have that space to work it out then you repress it and it and it becomes like it uh, you become a neurotic or something you know so if people want to argue about it just watch the night porter and then come back to me oh please yeah <laughs> i mean so uh, yeah. yeah the ultimate the bible yeah exactly it's a, it's a sacred text yeah um so you were uh you were kind of, I, I don't want to say lumped in, you were categorized uh, in the early 90s as part of the new queer cinema. That is a title that you rejected and you wanted uh, the title of queer core for your films. Now, do you, is that like a queer core? Is that also Greg Araki and, and, and directors like that? No, I mean, that's not exactly how it worked. I mean, in a nutshell, I was queer core first, homo core, mm-hmm. queer core, because we started, GB Jones and I started this fanzine called JD's in 1986 or seven, which was meant for uh, queer punks, for punks who were, uh, had pretty much rejected the mainstream Orthodox gay, middle class right. white gay movement and wanted something more politically radical and aesthetically more interesting. And so we were part of that whole 
um, scene, and or we kind of invented the idea of queercore, even though you know we made it seem like it was a full fledged movement that was going on in Toronto, even though it was just me and two like dyke dyke friends, you know, or you know, it was we we it was it was fake news. We we used Donald Trump has stolen all our strategies, all our all, <laughs> all, all, all our punk strategies, you know, uh-huh. politically political incorrectness, fake news. Right, right. Um, you know, yeah, etc. But um, so queer chorus, uh, I mean, sort of, sorry, new queer cinema came along a bit later. Like it started in the, up around the same time, like late 80s, 88, 89. And um, it, it was separate. It wasn't, it wasn't, uh, they were, weren't really related. But I felt like, I always feel like I'm caught between like, subcultures or you know that i don't fit in anywhere that i'm a bit of an outsider so i love like the gay um old school gay you know like camp and 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 hollywood and all that stuff classic hollywood uh melodrama but on the other hand uh i had a lot of problems with with the gay orthodoxy as well you know as you know it could be very racist and, and misogynist and and conservative, and so, yeah. And conservative, yeah. And and so um and so then um you know we, we invented queer core to counteract that uh and then um new queer cinema came along because it, it was you know it was a factor of the emergence of gay activism with AIDS activism and everything and and the the kind of uh burgeoning of of gay and lesbian LGBTQ uh, film festivals right. exploded exploded in the late eighties and early nineties. So suddenly, a lot of uh, queer and gay, you know LGBTQ uh, uh, people were making uh, movies, and mm-hmm. so I, I I was sort of put in the new queer cinema was basically like um, Rose Trosh and Greg Araki and early Gus Van Sand and the guy that did, you know, Richard Glatzer and mm-hmm. the Todds, you know. Right, um, right. Yes. Yeah. Todd, uh, Todd Haynes. Yeah. And, 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 but I was the only one really that was doing um, really pornographic and more underground and more experimental work. Everyone else was pretty much doing kind of like, uh, you know, narrative, uh, independent narrative cinema. And I started out much more experimental and always with a kind of porn angle. So that I think, I think that's why I didn't, I didn't reject it necessarily, uh, my association, but I, I, I just pointed out that, you know, I was the only one doing, uh, something that was a bit, uh, more, a bit, uh, uh, more outre, more outre. Yes. Um, do you do you uh, do you know or are you aware of the impact you had on San Francisco at the time? Because uh, I I don't know I don't I don't want to say this because I probably have this wrong, but it's it's perceived that you came up with the term homocore, and then there was a homocore zine in San Francisco, and um, I mean I just remember that magazine, oh, yeah. you know, as a young man. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk well, about that term? Sure. I mean, I had a, uh, the other impact I had on San Francisco was that I I had the reputation back there, back then of sleeping with everyone's boyfriends. Right. So, 
<laughs> so there was even a button floating around San Francisco in the late 80s that said, Bruce LaBruce fucked my boyfriend. People would wear Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, this fellow, Tom Jennings, who was a punk and he was queer, he started Homocore. He was inspired by JDs. And, um, and so he, and he had this uh, <clears throat> kind of almost like, well, he was always kind of, he always had money. He was like a tech guy, IT guy. Mm-hmm. And he had a big warehouse down on like market, just below market, like at around 3rd uh-huh. Street, 3rd Street. And I stayed with him one summer for a couple of months uh, in, I think it was 88. And so, yeah, he was influenced by it. But as it turns out, I mean, my version of, Homocore, queercore, and his were kind of different. I mean, uh, I was having an affair that summer with this uh, porn star, this adorable porn star named Michael Blue. And oh, Michael Blue was uh, was a DJ too, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. And he did at at uh, what was the club they did? Uh, Club Uranus. Uranus. Yeah. So I was a regular that summer at Uranus, and um, and of course at the Stud. And uh, mm-hmm. in fact, we we met at the Stud. And um, in fact, it was kind of a infamous story where he had a boyfriend at the time, and we were making out of the dance floor, and it was getting really hot and heavy. And we, but I was staying at this place where I couldn't really bring back somebody for sex and he had his was living with his boyfriend so we went into the we found a manhole and we went down into the sewer and fucked in the sewer that was oh uh, wow yeah. that's a really great um, yeah. were there rats running over your feet while you were doing I, it i i hope so i hope so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe there was even some like gerbil gerbil action oh with, god but with rats no i don't know it wasn't that it wasn't that <laughs> punk. but um but yeah uh there there was a network uh, of fanzines uh, started all over uh, America yeah. to the point where there was these started to be these big zine conventions. The first one was in Chicago in, I think, uh, the 91 or 90 or 91. And the second one was in L.A. The, the homo, what was it called? The homo convergence or something. Zine. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and there were, you know, people came from all over the country uh, and Canada to to these because it was people that it was pre-internet and it was pre-social media so it was all these people who were knew each other by mail by like mailing their fanzines to each other and writing letters to each other but they'd never and sending maybe some pictures but they'd never you know met in person or couldn't have the same kind of you know immediate social interaction that you have with social media so everyone was dying to see what everyone looked like and then it became like oh my god who's fucking who and like who who what alliances are forming because then the, the zine wars happened which became quite nasty and in the whole um kind of narrative of queer core like uh, in the movie for example uh they kind of uh, steer away from the the zine wars where it became kind of really you know like you know as you ex- would expect from from faggots you know um, <laughs> <Right>. um 
I say that affectionately. Um, of course. Yes. Um, you know, there was all, the, all, all these rivalries and like, uh, who's getting too famous. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Who's, who's getting too big famous, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you got to tear down the ones that are like getting too big for their britches and, um, and all that stuff. So, uh, it kind of ended with a big, uh, I mean, uh, it continued on. And I mean, tons of, there, there was tons of bands that, that, uh, came out of it and, you know, like tribe aid and, and, Oh uh, yeah. Pansy and, division. And Pansy division. And yeah. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, La Tigra and, you know, all those, oh, yeah. which also mm-hmm. came out of uh, Riot Girl. Riot Girl kind of, I think, was, you know, partly inspired by uh, by Queer Core as well. So, um, yeah, uh, it, it, and it continued on. And, and uh, you know, at that point, I kind of like segued more into more, uh, I was more focused on, on filmmaking after that point. Um, because it was getting too nasty for me. Right, right. Well, <laughs> one one thing I remember about that time is, you know, that the term, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, very much applies to that early 90s period because there was so much vital art going on at the moment, at that moment in time, but there was also so much sadness and death happening at the same time. So can you talk a little bit about what it was like to make queer art and artifacts in that moment, like there wasn't social media, you weren't able to really, I think a lot of it was lost on people about that moment in time. Oh, absolutely. I mean, my movie Super Eight and a Half, which came out in 1994, was really my kind of meditation on on the AIDS era and and my my uh, experience as a, as a kind of, uh, pornographer beginning out as a pornographer. I mean, I made this film, No Skin Off Mass, my first feature film in 1991 on Super 8, which was pornographic. I mean, it had sexually explicit scenes that I enacted. I acted out with my boyfriend at the time who I made dress up as a skinhead. And I was the hairdresser who was obsessed with him. And, um, <laughs> so, so we had, uh, you know, it was very camp. It was it was a remake of Robert Altman's That Cold Day in the Park. And, uh, but uh, I kind of gained the reputation, me and actually my producer, Jürgen Bruning, as pornographers, even though we just thought we were making sexually explicit underground, you know, underground films. And, um, and so, and some of it was kind of, you know, disapprobation and kind of like, you know, turning up, people turning up their nose at us for making porn. Of course, uh, I'm very... Uh, reactive in that way so and so is Jürgen so Jürgen started the first ever porn company in Berlin uh, Katzofilm, film and I started making my movies for uh, under the auspices of his porn companies and and um but in terms of AIDS I mean Super 8 and a half I I you know I I came to Toronto in the early 80s and uh, I didn't lose my virginity till I was like 22 or th- something or three because I was from this traumatized from this, you know, small town environment where I, I couldn't be openly gay and, um, and express my sexuality at all. And I was still kind of, um, you know, quasi closeted and it took me a long time to figure it out. But then when I kicked, when I kicked in and I started fucking, you know, my mm-hmm. brains out, it was like in, in, um, uh, in like 1982 and three, just when, 
the right. age, age mm-hmm. crisis kicked in. And, mm-hmm. you know, one, I would say one of the things that kind of saved me was I got uh, a social disease early on. I got whatever, like, I, th- I think it was gonorrhea or something. And so it freaked me out. And I started using a condom pretty conscientiously after that. Mm-hmm. And, but I was going to the sauna and fucking, you know, you know, my brains out and going to dark rooms and, and everything. And, and there was, it was, it was, it was always, and, you know, sometimes quite, um, in a, in party mode. So, um, under the influence of drugs and alcohol. So who knows what happens, you know, on those, on those, um, libertine nights. And, um, so that cloud was always hanging over my head and I was super conscious of all the people who were dying. I mean, I have a little monologue in Super Enough where I list all the celebrities who have died so far of AIDS. And I'm, I go, gee, I wonder if I'm, I'll be the next celebrity, gay celebrity to die of AIDS. <laughs> and, and I list them all. I'm like, well, there's like the boys in the band boys. And I list the five who died, like the boys in the band. And, the and, the pockmarked faggot, the cowboy, yeah, who else? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. like M- Michael and, um, and um, you know, his – his best friend, uh, mm-hmm. Donald, the actor. Who oh, played wow. Donald, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also the actor who played, um, uh, yeah. The actor who played Larry as well. Yeah. Just a little sidebar. What did you think of the remake of boys in the band? Did you watch it? Oh, je refuse. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I totally understand. Yeah. Um, no, my friend, yeah. you know, you know, Glenn, uh, Belverio, uh, Glenda orgasm. Uh, he and I uh, regard the boys in the band as a sacred text, and and you know we're just not having like yeah, yeah. having this uh, this bowdlerized version, you know. But uh, anyway, so uh, but the point about AIDS, you know, what was so horrible. So I lived, you know, with that fear as we all did of dying and mm-hmm. and um, hanging over our head, which which was kind of connected to our uh, our experience of sex and very much so yeah very much connected yeah yeah and like almost Mm -hmm. almost the pathologizing of gay sex Mm -hmm. um which i dealt with in ellie zombie which i have i have this alien zombie who fucks dead people back to life he he resurrects them which was kind of like trying almost trying to invert that kind of pathologizing pathologization of um of gay sex but it, what was really heartbreaking at the time was all the people who died just before the cocktail, you know, came. Yes, I remember. You know, you know Tranny Shack. Tranny Shack started in 1996, and it felt like oh, it wow. felt like a. It, I mean, it felt like a celebration because people had just stopped dying. But yes. everybody who everybody who influenced me when I moved to San Francisco, they all died the year before. You know. Yes. So and if, if you look just, at the if if you look at the statistics, if you look at the you know percentage of of gays who are who are dying, uh, well, not just gays, obviously, but uh, of people dying of AIDS uh, in 1995, there's almost like a, 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 a there's a pre- precipitous drop just suddenly. It just right. you know it, when the when the cocktail actually became effective and and you you think of all the great you know people that but you know friendly Wovitz, lover or hate or her said mm-hmm. AIDS AIDS killed all the cool people you know and she kind of had a point 
It, well, it killed. It, you know what? Uh, it killed all the fun people, and then it left a lot of boring people behind. <laughs> that's, <laughs> so, <laughs> that, that's it. Uh, so, yeah, speaking you, of death. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No. Oh yeah, yeah, go ahead. yeah. Yeah, let's speak of death. So, uh, speaking of death, tell me about Death Book. Oh yeah. Tell me all about it. Yeah, my my new. I have a new book. You know, it was one of my kind of like. Uh, pandemic projects um so it gave me the time to dig back big dig into my uh photographic archive and uh this um this publisher baron books uh approached me to do uh they have a series of death uh, called death books and they asked me to do one so um it's so i decided to um revisit all my most extreme uh imagery uh, uh, dealing with death and sex and violence and gore and gorn and splatter, you know, uh, which is uh, prominent in my work way back from uh, even, you know, I mean, starting in um, as early as my experimental movies uh, in the late uh, 80s and early 90s. So, uh, you know, I kind of explained in the introduction that I, I grew up on this farm where I witnessed all sorts of like slaughter and castration and like Ugh. violence as a kid. And I was a little sissy. I was like, I was like a little, I, I was like a little Lord Fauntleroy type. I had like red ringlets, orange <laughs> ring, or I had orange ringlets. And in, in, in first grade, I had a birthday party and um, my parents were mortified when they discovered that I had invited like 10 girls and no boys to my uh-huh. first grade <laughs> party. And I soon learned that I, I better, you know, get some, butch it up a little and get some male friends or I'd be, you know, I'd be, yeah, uh, yeah. I'd be trampled by some cows or something. But, um, so the death book, you know, I did experience all that stuff, uh, all that real and sex too, like animals fucking all the time. We had my father had like a big, huge boar and a huge bull, and I uh-huh. see them. I would see them fucking the livestock all the time, and you know, it, which was like very violent, kind of violent, and yeah. yeah. And pornographic mm-hmm. at the same time, you mm-hmm. know, even though it's, you know, it's nature, nature can't really be pornographic. Of course. But, uh, <laughs> um, but uh, so all, all of that combined, like I, I the kinds of, I, my father was also a hunter and a trapper. So I would see animals being, sh- you know, him, him, hunt, the hounds hunting down animals and getting into vicious fights with like, with wolf, with wolves and foxes and, oh, wow. and, and raccoons and, he trapped mink and beaver and I would, you know, I'd see Oh my animal. God. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really crazy. So, um, so uh, in fact, there's a photo in the book of my father skinning a beaver. Oh, that I took. Yeah. Oh. But, um, so that I think is partly, uh, why I am so interested in, in this kind of violent, um, and imagery of, of gore and splatter. It's kind of a way of working it out for me, I think, you know, cathartically. And, and, um, 
and also like you know horror a lot of a lot of queens love horror i mean i don't know oh why. yeah just, i yeah. love it too yeah yeah i mean in, uh, when i made la zombie i had some of the biggest porn stars uh, eric rhodes who sadly died a few years later. now i know i remember yeah and uh and Francesco DiMaggio and um, Adam Killian. and um, I know all these people. I guess I'm yeah. kind of... <laughs> <laughs> you must be an aficionado, a porn aficionado. Well, I've done, I've done lots of photo shoots. I've done photo shoots with Francesco, and I, I knew... Um, Who's the one you just said that died? Rose. Eric, I knew Eric Rose, Eric Rose from San Francisco. Yeah, but uh, yeah. sorry, I, I digress. Was, no, yeah. he was such he was such a sweetheart too. Yeah. Um, but uh they all loved it. I mean, I, I had them splattered with blood and like um, you know, they got these four kind of leather, you know, S and M queens in the movie get are in a bad drug deal and they all get like um they all get slaughtered by with with guns, you know. Uh-huh. And uh and so we had all this glo- gore and um blood and splatter and they just were like pigs and shit you know it's mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really uh it is a cathartic thing and i've done all these um uh openings art openings and and special events uh where i have these performances that i do where i have some kind of scenario set up with models like either they could be uh terrorists or zombies or terrorist zombies and they're they're like abduction scenarios where people are abducted and tied to a chair and tortured Mm -hmm. uh with knives and guns and then we splat um i do it with the models at the opening and then um i open it up to the public and the public would love to get into that chair and be tied up and splattered with blood and have a noose put around their neck or whatever you know it was like Mm -hmm. um very cathartic for them and the atmosphere and i would take polaroids of them and i'd keep one and give one to them as a kind of little uh art uh takeaway art piece but um they really loved it and the atmosphere at these when i do these events i did it in la at platinum oasis too which was a infamous performance event that outfest did that ron athian vaginal davis did but the peop- the atmosphere at these events is always so um, playful and kind of like cathartic, and it's it's not a negative energy at all. It's like a it's a very positive energy. Um, it, it's like a, a it's like what we were saying about porn and and um, <clears throat> politically incorrect fantasies, you know, of working out stuff rather than like repressing it and and being uh, allowing it to become something that that. that you can't think about or that you can't um, acknowledge you know it's 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 kind of uh, a playground that allows you to deal with all these uh, anxieties yeah and it's true it it is very cathartic so how can people see or or get a hold of the death book death book is from barren books so Uh you go you just go to you you can just google me uh bruce lebrew's death book and, and and Baron books and it'll come up uh i also have on my instagram i have uh, a link in my bio uh all my links are in my bio there uh i have a new book coming out uh later this year called fixations from a publisher named uh, uh nicholas milos mestas and it's uh 
it's it's more of of a coffee table book that's like kind of or you know like a nice high end art book that is a kind of retrospective of my work uh, in general. Uh, with uh, we got uh, we have Rossi De Palma is on the cover. Oh wow! And, um, yeah, and if you um, Google that as well, fixations Bruce LaBruce, you can pre order that. And uh, yeah, and then my movie, uh, my new movie, Saint Narcisse is coming out uh i have my u.s distributor is um film movement and they're going to be releasing it for you know u.s wide uh streaming hopefully some theatrical as well um i think the plan now is in july hopefully hopefully you'll be able to travel with it well i'm hoping i mean we just got accepted the movie just got accepted uh, in competition at the Munich Film Festival in June, and they want me to go. But we're so, as I was telling you before we started, um, you know, Canada is so screwed up right now and locked down because of COVID. We've had, we're a worldwide embarrassment in terms of our, you know, uh, dealing with uh, the pandemic. So hopefully I won't be stuck in the gulag of Canada. Are you, too, too are you not longer. allowed to leave Canada? Uh, you can leave. They just, they're discouraging it right now. You can leave. Wow. But if you, when you return, you have to stay in a, these uh, dreary COVID hotels, they call them, <laughs> that are near the airport on your dime. So you have to pay yeah. like $2,000 $2, and wait there to get your oh, test God. results. And then after you get your test result, if you, if you are, positive they send you to some like some kind of i don't know what it is it sounds like a concentration camp or something this is horrifying then, I, I know and then if you're not positive uh you get to go home but you have to quarantine for two weeks so <sighs> it's because they totally screwed up the uh the rollout of the vaccine here and there's a there's a dearth of um vaccine and and then once they do get the vaccine they 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 haven't uh rolled it out properly so it's a big big disaster here you should come down here to palm springs it's so easy to get vaccinated and you can just stay here in the sunshine until canada gets its shit together oh my god i love pop i love palm springs my um my you know when the pandemic first started part of my pod my five people i hung out with was john cameron mitchell he was oh. quarantining down here and um and that was you know he was this is where he wanted to be when you know during lockdown so that was kind of special you know smart smart move yeah yeah. Uh, I love I love John. Did you hear hear the news that he's cast as Yes. Um, yeah. Opposite. He texted cast. me. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, we should say it. I mean yeah. he's he's playing um uh what's he's playing uh, the lion uh Tiger King. No, Tiger King, yes. Joe what's Exotic. his name? Oh Joe Exotic. Joe Exotic, yeah. Opposite opposite yeah. Ka Kathleen Mc, uh Catherine Katie Oh my god, K I'm terrible. Kate McKinnon. Yeah. Yes. Oppo okay, okay. We'll add that. I'll say it. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll say it. Opposite. <clears throat> okay. Opposite Kate McKinnon. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be fun. Thanks. Very good. Very good. Well, yes. I hope. I hope you get to travel with Saint Narcisse. And do yeah. you want to tell us about the movie? Oh, sure. I'll tell you a bit. Um, it's it's the working title was Twincest, and uh, so it, speaking of another like politically in correct porn fantasy genre. Uh, and so I was really interested in this idea of like twins uh, fucking. And 
uh, I've had best friends who are twins and, um, and uh, then I connected it to narcissism. So it's kind of a loose retelling of the narcissist myth involving twins that were separated at birth and then um, meet again in their early 20s. And it's kind of, it's set in the early 70s. It's, uh, so it's a period piece. It's, um, uh, so it's, I made it in Quebec. Uh, uh, and so one twin is raised uh, in the city and the other one is raised in the in the country in a monastery by an evil mm. priest an oh, evil wow. priest who's kind of uh, abusing him from a young age so um uh, so when they when they meet uh, you can only imagine what happens but uh okay yeah. all right well um well so we're about ready to wrap it up but before we so i uh, good luck with saint narcisse and um everybody check out death book and um but before we wrap it up i want to do a little speed round with you oh sure is that okay yeah so it's, it's I, i'm just gonna say you know th- this or that this yeah. is where you get into trouble exactly okay so uh bruce LaBruce. is it is oh, it really? Is it really like uh, word association? No, no. It's it's just it's just you, you have to pick one or the other. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Okay, Bruce LeBruce, Here's your speed round. Okay. David Cronenberg or Brian De Palma? Ah, oh, Sophie's Choice. Right off the beginning. Um, uh, De Palma. Okay. David Lynch or John Waters? Ah, oh, how dare you! Rude. Uh, uh, John Waters. Okay, Barbara Stanwyck or Susan Hayward? Barbara Stanwyck. Okay, uh, Victor Victoria or Cabaret? Cabaret. Industrial or Goth? Go- uh, goth. And finally, because you wanted to be a film critic when you were a kid, Pauline Kale or Rex Reed? Pauline Reed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us on Drag Time with Hecklina. Oh, such a pleasure. Uh, thank you, Mark. Thank you all to all the listeners. Go to Drag Time with Hecklina to check it out. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. 